You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones in the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. And I'm Matt. And this is a VHS podcast that goes in the box art trailers and behind the scenes. And Matt, I've got just five words for you. Damn glad to see you. <laughs> is that five? <laughs> Damn glad to see you. Yeah, that's five. Uh, <laughs> we actually got the five words right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, Matt. What do you get when you combine NASA, an asteroid, and American awesomeness? Uh, deep impact? <laughs> Incorrect. You have one more guess, and if you get it wrong, you're off the show permanently. I want to say it's probably Armageddon. You're goddamn right it is. Life is short. I love you. Love is forever. Will you marry me? Gracie grew up to become a full-blown hottie. You're talking about my little girl, all right? But you never know what the future holds. Until it hits. It's a meteor shower. This new one you're tracking. How big? It's what we call a global killer. Nothing would survive, not even bacteria. The United States government just asked us to save the world. Anybody want to say no? You think we'll get hazard pay out of this? do it they've made a few requests though such as oscar here has got some outstanding parking tickets uh, max would like you to bring back eight track tapes not sure if that's gonna work yeah one more thing um none of them want to pay taxes again ever united states astronauts train for years you have 12 days you stick that in me i'm gonna stab you in the heart with it on July 1st. Tell me you've never let anybody down before. I never quit yet. How's that? Earth's darkest day. How you feeling? Good. Considering I've never been this scared in my entire life. Will be man's finest hour. I'm marrying you. You bet you are. <laughs> Bruce Willis. Billy Bob Thornton. Liv Tyler. Ben Affleck. Will Patton. Semi. Whoa! This is so much fun, it's freaky! All the time in the world. We have 18 minutes to zero barrier. He's all they've got. We all gotta die, right? I'm the guy who gets to do it saving the world. Do you think I'm gonna quit? We never quit! Production directed by Michael Bay. Man, when when scientists can't get the job done, which they can never get the job done, we have to call in. I don't know what we call these like gearheads, but what were they calling themselves? Uh, I don't know. I, I I don't even know what the term oil guys, <laughs> oil drillers. I mean, because the the actual synopsis of the film always says, you know, like misfit team of deep core drillers. 
And they're the ones who have to go and save the planet because NASA, you know, they're it's full of a bunch of idiots. Bunch of fucking nerds. <laughs> <laughs> you need some some athletic slash gambling slash well, I mean, this movie would probably use the R word to describe them. I think they did they take that word out of that? Because I always remember this movie using the R word. Keith David says it. Does he? Yeah. He calls them yeah, yeah. That's probably one if he could look back and be like, Yeah, I probably shouldn't have used that word. Uh, yeah, no, but uh, nobody says it better. <laughs> I guess maybe Billy Bob Thornton and other movies. I've heard him use it pretty, pretty colorfully. But uh, Keith David's, you know, his smooth voice even sells something very offensive like that. <laughs> In the 90s, this is what we'd call them. Um, but now we've grown up and now we just call them misfits. Yes. Gearheads, roughnecks, whatever. Roughnecks. Is that? Yes, that's what it is. There's no damn way that my daughter's going to marry a roughneck. You did it. You unlocked it and you didn't even know it, Matt. I, f- I figured it out. You know, clarity comes with Armageddon. <laughs> yes. And July 1st, 1998, Armageddon comes out and changes the world. Yeah, I this was a big one. I remember this coming out. I this was the posters were everywhere. The commercials were everywhere. This was exciting when this movie was coming out. This was that big summer movie that year. Yeah, the summer movies that I always remember a lot growing up as a kid um and this is like i would say post terminator 2 because you know i wasn't allowed to see that but you know you had jurassic park you had independence day and you had armageddon maybe and somewhere in their star wars the re-releases and then of course the phantom menace so those are kind of like the movies i always remember as like my teenager years high school you know coming up and then you're like holy shit armageddon's coming out because i didn't see deep impact and i know it's you know closer to it's more scientifically accurate, but who gives a shit? Because <laughs> Armageddon's awesome. Yeah, that movie's a bummer. It's really long. It's uh, it, it yeah, it does. It feels it feels more clinical. Whereas this is the Bayham. We get the chaos, uh, the cinematic chaos that is Michael Bay in what might be his masterpiece, <laughs> Armageddon. Yes. So your VHS that you have is the original one you got to see this movie. Yes. And I somehow don't own this movie on VHS. I don't know how. I just thought it was one that I always had. And I've probably passed up many times. But now I should really get my hands on it. Which is probably a really easy VHS to find. I would imagine, yeah. This one, I, I've i loved Armageddon since... this is. I probably had this VHS when it first, first came out. And then I have the uh, Criterion DVD uh, when that came out in the 2000s or whatever it was. The director's cut of the movie. Uh, I'm I'm a fan. <laughs> I love how the smart, you know, like the smartest people in distributing these films and the Criterion Collection comes out with this dumbass movie, which is so badly representative of what real space travel is like that NASA uses it as a training video for people to point out what's wrong. <laughs> it's i think they make a reference to it in the movie but it's like it's totally the wrong stuff you know yeah. <laughs> if, if you have the right stuff being the astronaut movie this is the wrong stuff <laughs> i'm almost certain that that clip is used in the trailer talk about the wrong stuff uh, but the perfect perfectly defining for what this movie is fuck science here's entertainment <laughs> exactly Describe the front of this fantastic film. So we got the the 90s floating heads. 
uh, because of course we do. We've got Ben Affleck, Bruce Willis, looking like the exact same picture they used for that baseball movie, with that Disney baseball movie a couple years later. I don't remember. Rookie? Uh, sure. The one that Bruce Willis, I don't remember. I don't but it lo- he looks exactly the same in that picture. And then Liv Tyler is on here. Bruce Willis's name, of course, is above the title, above everything here. Uh, and then it says Jerry Bruckheimer production. And we see a spaceship flying away from the title Armageddon. And Armageddon's like on fire. It's like hell. It's like Armageddon. And there's a spaceship flying kind of away from the flames and the fire. This is a Michael Bay film underneath it. And our tagline is for love, for honor, for mankind. Yeah, buddy. Only Disney can make a film like this. Touchstone. Remember those guys? Remember their st- their output? <laughs> I don't think this is on Disney+. Plus. What is wrong? I hope it's on Hulu. I hope it's on at least their other thing. <laughs> uh, I watched it on Amazon, I think. Oh, okay. Well, at least it's on something, because some of these Disney ones are just like lost to time now. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I wonder if they sold off the dis- you know, like the streaming rights and then they're just waiting for them to come back. Yeah, they'll drop it on Hulu or something. Mm-hmm. And it, maybe they'll put on the director's cut finally, too, because that one's kind of other than the criterion, kind of hard to find. I didn't even know there was a director's cut. I don't know any of the. I couldn't tell you what the differences are. I have no idea. But how there much is... more is in there? The movie's already two and a half hours long. It's only it's two minutes longer. I wonder if it's oh, more Jesus. of like a cut versus like added scenes. Like maybe it's paced differently or something like that because it's only two minutes longer. Who knows? Uh, what's the description on this? Total complete fun from beginning to end. WPIX TV New York. I'll agree with that quote. <laughs> it is a <laughs> total complete friend from the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. From blockbuster making team who produced and directed The Rock comes the biggest movie of the year, Armageddon. Starring the explosive talents of Bruce Willis, Die Hard, Academy Award winners Ben Affleck, Goodwill Hunting, and Billy Bob Thornton's Sling Blade. Liv Tyler, inventing the Abbots, Steve Buscemi, Con Air, and Will Patton, inventing the Abbots. Armageddon is a meteor storm of action-adventure movie-making that has you on the edge of your seat forgetting to breathe. When NASA's executive director Dan Truman Thornton realizes the Earth has 18 days before it's obliterated by a meteor the size of Texas, he only has one option. Land a ragtag team of roughneck oil drillers, see, we would have gotten there anyway, on the asteroid and drop a nuclear warhead into its core. Spectacular special effects, laugh out loud humor, great characters, riveting storytelling, and heartfelt emotion make Armageddon an exhilarating thrill ride you'll want to experience like there's no tomorrow. Includes Aerosmith's hit music video, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. I would play a clip from that, but we would immediately get taken off of YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) Aerosmith is like YouTube gold. I put that in one podcast way back i don't know what we started talking about and it was immediately globally blocked i'm like jesus <laughs> aerosmith got that shit on lock oh man that's funny there was uh there was some high school dance we had that was like uh themed i don't want to miss a thing and they played the song it was <laughs> it was pretty fucking hilarious you're having little teenagers decide like what you're gonna theme gonna be is of course it's gonna be a popular song at the time or some shit like that yeah, I think this. I was in high school. This movie had been out for like five years. It was still pretty fresh. So yeah, and that song was still a little bit everywhere. 
Yeah, I wrote down three words when you're making that description, uh, talking about that description. First one, breathe. If you didn't breathe during this movie for two and a half hours, you're dead. <laughs> Truth. Uh, I mean, I, I have never seen a movie that is so exciting and so too fucking long at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Like, I felt like I was on the edge of my seat the majority of the movie, but somehow I was like checking the clock at the same time because I'm like, oh, my God, why are you so long? I, I, I've never done and don't do Coke, but I would imagine that this is the like equivalent of doing like too much Coke and you're like fine afterwards, but like the entire time you're just like fucking buzzing because that's what this movie is like. And you even said you were like, how many montages are in this movie? And I go, the whole fucking movie's a montage. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's like the, it's, it's the nineties Rocky four. Yeah, I was like this montage after montage and then it's just like masculinity and like you just got to grit your teeth and get through it like type of like man, just man everywhere. (laughs) And we've got, you know, the combination of this white UK Armageddon hysteria with um, the the deep, deep 90s Americana pre 9-11 Americana. It's it literally has kind of it all for the time but it is absolutely like you said kind of sensory overload (laughs) yeah and the second word i wrote down was texas because we can't have just like a big asteroid can't be like this asteroid's 100 miles wide no it can't be that it's got to be something big enough where all these idiots out in the middle of nowhere can be like i know how big that is so we're going to use the state of texas and we're not going to use the state of california because those are you know filled with liberals and liberals are the ones who are like controlling NASA and fucking this up. We're going straight to Texas, baby. The red state. <laughs> the Lone yeah. Star state. The deep, deep Americana. Because Bruce Willis alone with AJ, which would make him not alone. But anyway, Bruce Lewis alone will save Earth. I'm looking at the stills on the back of this as we're talking. And there's three stills. And I can count in these three stills three American flags. Um, (laughs) Bruce Willis has is like holding one in a scene that I don't think exists in the movie. I feel like this American flag is photoshopped into his hand. And then there there's like a, a still like a cab blowing up. There's no flag in that. But then there's a still of Liv Tyler and... Ben Affleck in a warm embrace that literally has two American flags in this one little still. He's got it on an arm patch and they're standing in front of one. And I'm like, God damn. (laughs) So this kind of beats our record of two American flags in the cover when we did G.I. Joe, the animated movie. Yes, this movie is more American than G.I. Joe and has Joe himself, Bruce Willis, in the movie. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's that's amazing. Uh, and, and then the third word I wrote down was riveting storytelling. And I'm like, mm, riveting. I don't know. Emotional. Yes. Chaotic. Uh, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> it's like a riveting. Nah. I mean, let's pop this tape in. Now available on video and DVD. Matt, did we get any trailers? So I just remember the trailer for the soundtrack. I don't remember a ton of other stuff on here. I think it's just because this movie's so long and the music video is after the movie. So I feel like they're saving tape on this one. But there is that perfect 90s commercial for the soundtrack. And it's, you know, 
of, of course, just heavily featuring the music video. I don't want to miss a thing. So I, I think I got to go buy the soundtrack now that I've seen the commercial. <laughs> oh, definitely. I think it's got like three Aerosmith songs on it. Yeah, there's there's several in the movie. Mm-hmm. There's Sweet Emotions in there, and I forget the other one. But yeah, it's uh, it is a Aerosmith packed soundtrack. I wonder if it's because the year before Michael Bay had directed a music video for them, and they must have just became pretty close. Oh after yeah, that. I'm sure that has a lot to do with it. Because at one time I thought I was like, oh, this must be all Aerosmith songs in the soundtrack. And then I looked up the soundtrack. And I'm like, no, it's just three. Yeah, and then that's probably how Liv Tyler got into this. Now, obviously, she was already established doing stuff like Empire Records and smaller films. But, you know, I have a feeling like, hey, I worked with Steve Tyler. He probably met Liv Tyler. I'm sure it worked out somewhere like that. Yeah. And, it, you know, this one has sort of like the, especially when you watch like the music video at the end or whatever, has sort of that like Angelina Jolie in uh, Tomb Raider with John Voight, where they have like their kind of reconnection. And this one has like Liv Tyler, when they watch the music video or whatever, reaching for the TVs that like Steven Tyler is on. And, you know, they have that strained relationship because he was the rock star. So it, it does feel like this uh, familial forgiveness thing is happening you know, off off screen. Yeah, I can see that. So let's uh, get into the feature presentation. And now our feature presentation. Well, we've got a roughneck team of oil drillers who kind of don't follow the rules at all. In fact, uh, Bruce Willis's character starts firing a gun on an oil rig. But even before that, a true representation of his character is he's hitting golf balls at the Greenpeace people on a boat that's protesting the oil rig. But then a line is, can you believe I donate to these people? Yeah, I feel like this is this is the complicated views of Michael Bay. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so this movie's really stupid. But for some reason, that like little 30 second or one minute span of him doing that was kind of like, that was some type of social commentary that I don't know if he was trying to be really smart with or the writers were. But I, it's clever, and it surprised me in such a dumb movie. And I'm saying dumb in a fun way, you know. So anyone who's just like, he doesn't know what he's talking about, correct, I don't. But at the same time, it's a dumb, fun movie. It could be, JJ, you know. There's, there is quite a bit of snarky J.J. Abrams dialogue throughout, so it could have been. It, like I said, I think it also maybe is just part of Michael Bay's sort of complicated kind of liberal kind of conservative views like yeah he confuses me i know i know what you mean i can't ever figure out if he's kind of more of a frou-frou liberal because i know he's really big into health and maintaining his body but at the same time he does these movies that are like america guns explosions yeah it's very weird like i think of like like the benghazi movie like 13 hours or whatever and that does feel very like kind of conservative but he's like also the guys behind like spearheading the purge movies which are like the most fucking like angry liberal movies i've ever seen so like and he wouldn't put his name all over it if it was like that i know he's not directing those but still he was the guy that got those movies made so yeah i i don't know and so i feel like it is his complicated sort of like america and fuck the nerds and like you know supermodels like the very sort of like over the top kind of silly conservative things plus like well greenpeace is okay so like i yeah i think it's just complicated michael bay (laughs) 
that's true. And another complicated thing is, uh, you know, his daughter is now hooking up with AJ, the hot shot, or as I like to call it, the hot rod in this movie, to uh, Bruce Willis being, you know, Optimus Prime. <laughs> uh, that's what I always look at this. Uh, I'm talking about the original animated movie, the real movie, folks. Um, Not the yeah. Michael Bay movie? <laughs> I haven't seen the Michael Bay Transformers in such a long time. I forget a lot of it. Yeah, it's more more chaos, but a little less story. <laughs> no, because I have a I have a complicated past with Michael Bay too. Um, I just don't like most of his movies, but this one's you know, like you said, it's a masterpiece. <laughs> yeah, I and I love most of his movies. So <laughs> oh, um, I'm a, I am definitely a fan of the Bayham. Uh, yeah, and also somebody else I'm a fan of that you're just talking about AJ. I think and i feel like this is like gonna get people to eye roll but i think ben affleck is great in this movie i think he's charming as hell it's the bro affleck period of his life uh before you know he hit what was the movie jiggly jiggly <laughs> yeah that's the one that like killed the bro bro affleck after that but you know like reindeer games armageddon phantoms yo <laughs> phantoms was the bomb yeah, he's the bomb in these movies. I think I love Ben Affleck. He seems to fit this movie. I, I don't know if it's so much Ben Affleck that I like in this. His character just fits this movie. And yeah, there is. He's like kind of like a stupid. He, he works hard, but he doesn't know when to stop. Makes reckless decisions, which are like kind of the right thing to do, but he doesn't go about it the right way. See, totally he's like the hot rod. That's what I'm telling you. <laughs> Further along in this movie, we get it gets set up right away that some random dude finds a asteroid and ends up calling it after his uh, wife Dottie, who is a cold-hearted bitch. Uh, if I have that clip, I'll play it right now. Felicity, Carl, this is top secret. Sir, I'm retired Navy. I know all about classified. But one more thing: the person that finds her gets the namer, right? Yes, that's right. That's right. I want to name her Dottie after my wife. She's a vicious, life-sucking bitch from which there's no escape. That's, that's sweet, Carl. It just kind of shows that this movie is really sort of kind of angry towards women sometimes. Yeah, this guy this guy that names it after his wife is like, yeah, she's a cold bitch. The whole time in the movie, I mean, we see them like three times, I think it cuts to them. She's not like that. She's just like, hey come inside i made you dinner and he's like fuck you bitch <laughs> it's like damn dude you're the one with the problem not her she yeah. made you fucking dinner yeah i don't know what is going on with these characters i don't know if this is based off i you know it could be just something that they find funny uh and like an older generation thing where the woman's always nagging the man but yeah you're right they didn't go far enough probably because they just you know, like we can't waste too much time on these two but there is something in this movie that kind of it either is angry towards women because they're like stopping us from being men. Now I'm, I'm reading into that a little bit more, but uh, there's also kind of like they can't get the job done. Like the Russian at the very end who just moves the, you know, the NASA pilot who is an expert in this entire uh, ship moves her out of the way and just starts pounding on the engine. And that works because brute force always works. In Michael Bay movies, that is, I guarantee you I could study them, which I won't, but brute force is probably the best means of fixing shit. 
Yeah, I bet in every single Michael Bay movie, you probably do a supercut of somebody smacking a piece of technology and then it works. Like, it's just, I mean, that's it's got to be in like all five of the Transformers movies. So no doubt. There's even, there's even like a thing with like Liv Tyler in this movie. She is older and Bruce Willis's daughter. She's not like, you know, 15 or anything in the movie. She's an adult. She's at least 18. Probably older, probably in her twenties. Yeah, I got I got the like twenty two, twenty four, like just out of college age. Yeah, so you get kind of that vibe, and he's like super doting and protective of her. Doesn't want her to like talk to men or anything like that. And then like she's sort of then the prize for Ben Affleck too. So it is it it doesn't it's not the like most women friendly kind of view (laughs) and then it's complicated too because she speaks japanese she's the one who communicates with all these clients or these million you know multi-million dollar contracts she's the intelligent one when it comes to like book smarts on this rig yet again she gets treated like a child and i get that from the father's point of view but it's more there's something deeper in this and maybe it's just because this movie was written by all men yeah four of them five of them <laughs> but but yeah it's uh yeah i agree with you though and it, yeah this is like the same thing as the kind of greenpeace thing it's like this complicated dance it's doing it's like kind of giving you the hoorah americana conservative kind of view of women here and then it's also like but she's also the smart one and she also this company wouldn't run if it wasn't for her so it is it's this weird thing that uh, i'm sure as we keep talking we're gonna find more of where it's like oh this seems kind of wrong but it does do this so it's like two step forward one step back kind of (laughs) thing yeah and i think it just all leads to like too many cooks in the kitchen but yet to the editor's Good job. I'm going to get hurrah to the editor or editors. I don't know how many were on this. I don't know how you cobbled this together and created such a fun, fantastic, stupid popcorn movie that I love watching. Yeah, they put it. They somehow put it all together. There's three editors on this movie, but one of them is Mark Mark Goldblatt, who is like the guy. So (laughs) he probably was brought in to save it. (laughs) He's like, okay, we put together what we could. Can you make this make sense? And he's like. I'm the man. I got this. <laughs> sure. How long's your first cut? It's five hours. Okay. <laughs> I've got some work. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but I just have a feeling that this movie was probably first cut together by someone. Probably Michael Bay's cut. And it's like, uh, Michael, um, yeah, we're not putting out a four hour film. You know, it's okay. Okay. I got you. <laughs> Let me do some setups, drink some milk. Because I think he did the milk commercials, right? Uh, I think, yeah, I think you're right. More characters going down in this. Uh, Another weird one is Rockhound, played by Steve Buscemi, who had to be convinced by Michael Bay to do this film because he read the script. And he's like, well, this isn't really the guy I play. And he's like, that's the point. You know, stop playing such weird guys. And this is when he started to get into comedy and films. And he does it well. He just does it. Yeah, he's really charming and really funny in this movie, and I'm sort of glad it spun him down that that road. But I have a question for you. Is Steve Buscemi's character a pedophile in this movie? (laughs) Yes. Well, so, yeah, there's weird jokes inside of this. You have the, uh, you know, when the U.S. government first lands on the rig, there's the, oh, Harry, I swear she said she was of age or some kind of joke like that. And they look at him. 
and it's not for him. But then there's also the tampon joke with his daughter when he's like, whoa, 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 I just bought her the tampons I, and then told her how to use it. I didn't show her how to use it. But he's clearly got something for, you know, barely legal teens. Yeah, he's got the scene with Shawnee Smith in the bar and she and that's when he also gets pulled aside by uh government guys whatever whatever they are and she he literally is like wait how old are you like it's like <laughs> there's so many references to like him seeing younger girls i feel like he says like a line like he has a problem or something like that at one point and i'm like okay again it's a movie i don't care but i'm like are you playing like a pedophile in this <laughs> regardless it's hilarious i think he's great in the movie. <laughs> i think it's just a bunch of men writing a film where they're using all these stereotypes of guys that they know and maybe all these different ages of these writers i'm looking at because jj abrams was probably in his what mid to late 20s at this point yeah maybe maybe early 30s i don't know but i see some other writers that definitely looked like they're in their 40s and 50s so i think this is coming from a lot of different generations of writers and I bet if I was in my late 20s and I was writing a guy like this, this wouldn't seem as creepy. Dude, you're, you know, she's 18 and you're like 28. That's weird. But if it was like a 50 year old guy writing those, then it's a lot fucking creepier. I, I like I said, I had to point it out because it was hilarious, but I like don't care. You know what I mean? Like the movie's just so silly and just like nothing kind of matters the devil may care attitude of the movie. It's not even bothersome. It's just like it was it was so many references. I had to call it out. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, even the guy who lives with his mom still or at least like goes out and hangs out with his mom because he's overweight and probably not very successful with women. They're like, you know, that's from another guy writing it who like knows a dude like that, right. who like works at an everyday job can make his own way, but still is so attached to his mom. Like, I just feel like all these characters are such stereotypes. It's why the characters are so easy to introduce. I mean, we fly through it within, I feel like 10, 12 minutes. We know every character, even Truman, the guy who's working at NASA, NASA and everything. He's a workaholic. He, you know, always wanted to be an astronaut. You just know it because these are such simple characters. We don't need big backgrounds. I think the only background we really go into is what was his name cheek chick his like right hand man will Patton. yeah because we know he's a dad is his name chick i think so i don't have the imdb in front of me but uh i think it was i wrote down chick but i was like that's not it is it but yep i'm looking right now yeah what the yeah okay anyway he's probably the most complicated pass because he ends up having a, a kid with april o'neill <laughs> Which I was like, what the fuck is April O'Neil doing in this? <laughs> Dude, there's a lot of faces that just pop up in this one. It, I mean, that's the Michael Bay thing, too, yeah. where it's like, you know, all-star cast. But, like, you get, like, Ellen Greghorn from Saturday Night Live has, like, an enema joke scene in there. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Uh, Udo Kier is a psychologist in there randomly. Uh, Eddie Griffin has the gets blown up with a dog at the beginning. <laughs> like, uh, hanging with Mr. Cooper. Yep, hanging with Mr. Cooper's driving a taxi. <laughs> and of course, so this is also complicated. He has the most stereotypical, loud, you know, wisecracking black guys in this movie. And then 
he decides to have like one of the most powerful government officials that we see in this, a general played by uh, Keith David, who's like sophisticated and smart, but tough. And I'm like, man, I just, this is so over the place. (laughs) It's like kind of like you're representing the worst of the like black comedian wisecracking stuff. And then you have David, you know, Keith David playing like bravado class, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's so all over the place. Crazy. <laughs> it's a Michael Bay film, though. It's like, like you said, the best word to describe almost every Michael Bay film is chaos. Yes. Bayham. It's, it's just nuts. <laughs> and even in the casting and the character design, we get a clock. This asteroid is going to destroy Earth. It is a Earth killer. Uh, a global killer. You get a literal <laughs> ticking clock in this. And they've got to split the rock in half. And of course, we get like a little joke of like, oh, we'll just send a nuke at it. And I think there's like a smart joke. I don't think you want to take advice from a guy who got a C in astrophysics. Yeah, I love that. Like, they're making fun of like the nerds and like brute force is the way to go. But again, here's another dichotomy. The nerds are the ones that figure it out to kind of save us. We get, uh, we were talking about just like, actors making brief appearances we get uh Bodie elfman in there for like two seconds being i think credited as math guy <laughs> in the credits uh they show up and be like no this is the way you gotta do this this is how long we got <laughs> let's just go to like one of the funnest scenes and you already mentioned it sort of is like when they're testing their psyche can they actually make this trip from earth around the moon to land in the back of an asteroid, do they have the mental capacity? I think this is one of the most entertaining montages. Yeah, I love how like the, after they kind of go through everybody and all the NASA guys are sitting in a room and they're like, these guys are fucking lunatics. <laughs> <laughs> there, are, there are so many problems these guys have. <laughs> and then it's like shows the stamp of NASA approved. <laughs> but that's when you get the great line of talk about the wrong stuff is when they start their training. It's goofiness. It's a goofy montage over and over of how like they can't get things together. And then Bruce Willis also like shows their list of demands to do this and they never want to pay taxes. And hey, do you know who killed JFK? Um, Bear would like to stay at the White Horse. White House. White House. White House. Yeah, he'd like to stay in the Lincoln bedroom of the White House for the summer. Stuff like that. Sure, I think we can uh, take care of some of that. Harry. Yeah, one more thing. Um, None of them want to pay taxes again. Ever. I mean, this movie's just full of all these dumb jokes that your dad's going to love. I mean, I loved them. They worked on me. I still do, yeah. I mean... Uh, they like when when um when he says the thing about JFK, he goes, "Are you are you able to tell us about JFK?" And they they don't like say anything at all. And then he just like looks back at all the guys and then just shakes his head no. And they all look disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's great jokes. It's great timing with some of these jokes. And I feel like no matter you know your intelligence level or no matter what part of the country you're from or whatever whatever divides us you know red blue and everything these dumb jokes hit everywhere yeah this is just like 
perfect mainstream entertainment it like they always say like the movie kind of for everybody and this movie kind of like effortlessly does that yes but what i'm always trying to figure out is is it done on purpose (laughs) who knows it may just be dumb luck but like somehow this one works out where it is for everybody effortlessly and like even though you can kind of see through that it doesn't matter you're you're still having a good time even when we're being like filmic analytical right now we still can't stop talking about how fun it is you know what i mean so that what whether it was dumb luck or not they figured it out no and i know people who can't stand this movie they hate it because it's so dumb and i really just find that part of the charm exactly me too me too i don't care that it's a dumb movie can be dumb as long as it's entertaining (laughs) this movie is vastly entertaining (laughs) yeah and it has a lot of actors that michael bay likes to use a lot like Peter Stromer, yes, who plays the Russian. This is our big problem in the Russian space desert because I don't want to stay here anymore. I... Yeah, finally, we can go home. I mean, he's highly entertaining. I love I love Peter Stromer. I could watch him in anything, anything. I love him in this movie. Yeah, I don't. I need subtitles for him. I have no fucking idea what he's saying most of this movie, but like he's still yeah. cracking me up because he's just like this another like representation of kind of like chaotic energy. Well, and I'm wondering like how him and I know how Steve Buscemi got in this, but him and Steve Buscemi like reuniting after doing Fargo a couple years before. I thought that was great. That there's a connection between Fargo and Armageddon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but a- another character that I believe Michael Bay's used a few times is, is William Fincher. Colonel William Sharp. Or Willie Sharp. Is it William or Willie Sharp? I don't know. I just remember them saying Sharp all yeah. the time. Well, yeah, and he's also got like really sharp features too, like with his chin and his nose. He's like he plays a great like military guy. Yeah, he's he's good at the he's good in this movie. Like I like how he is kind of like, okay, he's helping the team. Oh, but no, this bomb's gonna go off. Oh, but no, he's gonna save us. Like he's kind of plays he's kind of playing both sides or whatever really well. Oh, that whole thing where they have an atomic bomb and they're like yelling at each other and he's just like, you know, let us draw our damn hole because they're so far behind on their depth. And then they wait until like one minute left. But what I love is Chick is like announcing it every time. He's like, two minutes, uh, got a minute and a half, got one minute, guys. <laughs> They're sitting there arguing. And then they they stop an atomic bomb in less than one minute. With Absurd. two seconds to spare. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't want to. I don't want to alarm anyone, but the the clock on that uh, nuke just went off. <laughs> I love it when he says that. The movie uh, literally has a ticking time two, bomb in the two. climax. <laughs> the dragon asteroid and the nuclear weapon. There's two ticking clocks in this. This is insane. Chaos. I love it. Give me more. <laughs> oh, yeah. To get into the end of this, I mean, Steve Buscemi goes crazy. But we talked about off air that like Owen Wilson's in this film. I always forget he's in this film. And you said you always forget that he dies. So, I mean, he doesn't die quickly, but he dies landing on the asteroid. Yeah, it's just like how his death is sort of like, you don't really get like a close-up of him, and you, you, it's not super featured. It's kind of when, like, part of the team, you know, when the stakes happen, part of the team starts to get wiped out. 
And uh, I, I, I like this time I was like, who is that? Is that Will Patton? Like, who's in that spacesuit or whatever when they when the stuff starts blowing through the window at him or whatever? Um, and then as the movie goes on, I kind of just like because it is like the midway point or something like that, an hour and a half in or something. I forget that he's even in it then. You know, I forget that he was just in the previous hour and a half. So, yeah, he he's I don't want to say forgettable in it because he's funny in it in his parts. But, yeah, he's like just kind of throw away a little bit. I think it does take about an hour and a half for them to actually reach the asteroid because it feels like an hour of setup of training and montages. Then it's like 30 to 40 minutes of them in the ship blasting off. And then like the last hour and 15 minutes is them on the rock saving the day. It is. It's like I I do think it's like split in kind of threes, but it's not like a three act structure necessarily. It's like three sort of sets. Mm -hmm. Like you said, it's like Earth, ship, rock. (laughs) So before we get into that, did you notice how everything was like old school around the Earth when they kept showing everyone like, you know, because America's got to save the day. The rest of the world's got to listen to us on radios. And when they show America, everyone looks like they're in the 1950s. Yeah, they're going into they're showing a lot of farms. They're going into like those downstairs bunker things like in Twister. They show like when the world is saved. They show like a family with like an American flag, of course. Uh, it's like looking out a window and the windows are all like rotten and fucked up. And I'm like, yeah, this is like they're kind of showing like. I guess, like, and I don't mean this, like, offensively, but, like, poor America, you know? Yeah, like, they have toys that we used in the 1930s. They're like, look, I got a tutu tra- a choo-choo train. Uh, oh, I'm just going to call it a tutu train now. Um, <laughs> like, it looked like this stuff in Pearl Harbor from, like, you know, when we were about to get hit in Pearl Harbor. He showed in that movie, and I'm like, what? Is this, like, his inspiration to do Pearl Harbor? <laughs> yeah, there is, like, this weird... I, I totally feel that. Like, it, it feels like this... Well, it, it, a little later, but, like, 50s kind of Americana a little bit when they show the kids playing and stuff like that. I, I very, Yeah, farmland and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I don't know what that choice was, because I feel like if it's supposed to be connecting to kind of everyone, you know, that's not, like... 90s farm life you know (laughs) yeah i mean i guess he's just trying to sell the make america great again before make america great again slogan it's just like remember back in the day but it's like you can have a tv you know i know i don't have to listen to the end of the world on the radio in the 90s farms had tvs (laughs) i don't know what the hell he was doing i just i just think he was in love with the visuals yeah, I mean, it does. And it does. It looks great. So, like, I get it in that regard. Like, it, it is very, like, visually appealing. Some of the, like, New York stuff, too, looks really good. I love that in all of the New York scenes, those are when we get the classic Michael Bay shot, which is the below pointed up camera, slow turn, something passing overhead, which is, like, the best, the, the ultimate <laughs> Bay shot. Uh, and you get that in all the New York stuff. Oh, and he loves to blow up cities. The The France one, you know, we didn't get much of because that just shows like a piece of the asteroid striking and destroying all of Paris, mm-hmm. which was sad to look at. I was like, holy shit. Like out of all the places, it's of course he choose Paris. And, and, and of course they like film there. You know what I mean? Like, of course, it looks like they're there. It's not just like a Hollywood soundstage. It looks like they went there because they spend the money. (laughs) Um, But I did laugh out loud when they cut to the gargoyle with the shocked face before everything gets blown up. 
<laughs> I mean, there's some funny. He's good at comedy uh, sometimes. I mean, maybe sometimes he goes too far with the comedy, but this one was just enough, in my opinion. Yeah, it, yeah, the right amount of silly for sure. Yeah, this is a hundred and forty million dollar budget estimated in nineteen ninety eight, and you know, cracked five hundred million, five hundred and fifty three million worldwide. That's how he got Pearl Harbor. That's how you get that made. <laughs> oh, I mean, after this movie, he just could do whatever he wanted. Everything became Bayham, just bigger and better. Well, I, I think don't know. it's. I wouldn't say better, but definitely bigger. I, I think it's interesting that like he followed up his three best movies like the holy trinity of bad boys the rock and this with kind of his three worst movies pearl harbor bad boys 2 and the island i think that's really interesting yeah and i i always love how i've heard people defend the island a lot recently and i just thought it was boring yeah me too i don't really like that movie i i tried to watch it several times and i just can't connect with it yeah. So I, I don't know. It, it is. It's weird. It's like this movie was almost like too big for him or something because he just kind of it almost seems like he kind of never got it back, really, except for Pain and Gain. That's how I knew it was still in him because <laughs> <laughs> that movie is truly ridiculous. Oh, I adore Pain and Gain. <laughs> they finally drill the hole because AJ, who was in the independence with Bear and the Russian uh, make this impossible leap across the asteroid. I don't know how any of this science would possibly work, but who cares? Uh, we get the thrusters. Hit the thrusters! Hit the thrusters! <laughs> I can't do you, it. Russia. You ever hear of Evil Knievel? No, I haven't seen Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> One of two or three Star Wars references in the movie, most certainly probably coming from J.J. Abrams. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just love it when he's just like, AJ, hit the thrusters. Yeah, and they they finally land. Uh, we get a few more deaths. They drill the hole, and then we get drawing of the straws, uh, which yes. cracked me up because they were just like the wires from the nuke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what they had, you know? That's what they had on hand. They're on a fucking asteroid. It's not like they brought stirrers with them, you know? <laughs> I think that the ending of this movie, as kind of cheesy as it is, I think works kind of better than anything else in this movie sort of emotionally. Like when Bruce Willis pops that thing off Ben Affleck's back and throws him in there, and then, you know, he's going up in the elevator thing, and he's like, I love you, Harry. It works, dude. I think it's, like, pretty emotional. Hey, Mr. Truman. Oh. Make sure Truman gets that. Get in here. It's my turn now. Uh. Harry! Harry! You can't do this to me! It's my job! You go take care of my little girl now. That's your job. Always thought of you as a son. Always. I'd be damn proud to have you marry Grace. The part that really worked with me the most is like when he's like, give this to Truman. He'll know what it is. And then they land after saving the day. And he's like, Harry said you'd want this. I always that one really works to me. The rest I just find kind of like stereotypical ending, you know, like take care of my daughter. Make sure she lives a good life. You I'm damn proud of you being my son. Or I, I always thought like all that stuff. I, I'm sure it works with a lot of other people. But with me, I was just like, 
Nah, but I like the best friend thing. Yeah, it's um, there's an operatic nature to it, I feel like, which, yeah, can feel a little cheesy, can feel a little tip, you know, typical or whatever. But something something about this, you know, this operaticness of it, like just for whatever reason, really hit me, really struck me, really worked for me. So you were there crying just like all of the moms. If, if movie. movies could make me cry, which is just like something about me that I, I don't understand, but for whatever reason, I can't cry during a movie. If movies could make me cry, I think I would at the end of this one. Well, you ran out of tears after T2 and Aliens 3. Yes. God, those movies wrecked me in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so we get the uh, the heroes have landed ending and everyone's running towards it. Very much like Independence Day, in my opinion. Which is fine. What else are you going to do? But and then, you know, eventually we get uh, the montage of the wedding with the song with the song <laughs> playing. Yeah. Don't you dare hum it and or sing it. Or we'll get That's taken why out. I didn't do anything. As yeah. a, you know, the song, <laughs> look it up, play it for yourself, you know, as you're listening to the podcast. <laughs> uh, one of the characters that doesn't get talked about much in this, but uh, Jessica Steen, who plays the co-pilot, Jennifer Watts. I always love that. I love her in this. Uh, I wish her ending would have been a bit better with uh, the Russian pushing her out of the way. Like if they're if they could have worked together, she's been like, you touch this and you do that. And they would have been yelling at each other. And then they both start hitting the engine and it works because they run out of ideas. That's kind of like what I wish they would have done with this instead of like just kind of the man saving the day. Yeah, like this does again have like this uh, dichotomy thing where it is like she is in control, she's in power, she's good at what she does. And then, of course, there's like the lines where she's given like the rundowns uh, where they're like, she's pretty hot. But then like later they like sort of acknowledge it's like, no, but she is like incredible at her job. So it is like that thing again. But then, yeah, they do kind of like sour it at the end with she just being pushed out of the way. Yeah, because none of the women actually I mean, she obviously is good at her job and she's the co-pilot and she helps get a home, but she's the co-pilot. She gets pushed out of the way when, you know, the end is near. I just think they had a real good chance to establish a character in a movie that's a strong female without all these little things. But whatever. I'm not going to fun police it. It's still a fun ass movie. I just wish they would have treated that differently. Exactly. Yeah, but is it the time? Is it Michael Bay? You know, who knows? I, it, I I feel like all outside of Liv Tyler, all of the f- the females in this movie, are, uh, if they you know if they're of a certain age or whatever, are all like models. I feel like no, I mean yeah, the the other female in this movie, I guess you could say, is the stripper Mickey or whatever her name is, Minnie. I don't remember what it was, but she uh, you know, you've got a stripper, you've got a co-pilot, and you've got a daughter. One of them is, you know, professional, good at her job. Well, I mean, so is Liv Tyler, but they don't they give her like a few lines and then it's kind of gone. Then she's just weeping and crying the rest of the movie. Yeah. Putting putting her hand on the TV as they all go. Great shot, by the way. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, That whole scene. I'm like, they can barely talk to each other in the entire movie, but somehow they get a video link. Uh, Yeah. But yeah, that visual of her with her hand over it, that's on the screen as it fades to black, knowing that he's going to die. Nice job. And there's, yeah, I mean, that's an incredible shot, but there's a slew of just like stills you could take from this Mm -hmm. movie that look like art, you know? No, he knows his colors. 
his color wheel real well of how to blend this because this movie is kind of before its time because this is the orange the orange and the blue now then it turned into later in the 2000s kind of like the orange and the turquoise but he yeah. knew his colors and this to me I haven't studied film, but to me, this was the first one that really hit those tones of orange and blues or, you know, that orange and cool color. And I think he took that with him from music videos, because you look at the mid early 90s music videos. I think that's kind of where that came from. But this was, yeah, I agree with you. One of the first times we saw it in like movies was Michael Bay. Yeah, and he kind of had that color palette with, you know, The Rock. And I remember Con Air kind of had that color palette. Now, that was also Jerry Bruckheimer, correct? Yeah, this movie feels kind of like definitely the combination of the two. This has a lot of the Jerry Bruckheimer vibes of like, you know, Gone in 60 Seconds and Con Air, like you mentioned, as well as the Bay stuff. Let's go on to the museum. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. This is the part of the show where we go out in the film jungle and bring something back like indie. Oh, man, this is going to be tough. But I'm going to go out, grab this first, since this is kind of like my birthday episode in a way and uh, celebration of my new child. Put in the pedophile. Now, (laughs) kind of weird to say out loud, but when he's like, I just wanted to feel the power between my legs riding that nuke and then shooting the minigun. That just like represents how insane this film is. They are on a an asteroid like making dinosaur slash dragon sounds and he is going apeshit. He's got space dementia as William Fickner says. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that made up bullshit. <laughs> uh, what do you got? I'm going to put in, I think, uh, I mentioned it before, but this, I love the, in all of Michael Bay's movie, the recurring Bay shot of the looking up to our characters as the camera slowly moves with something going by overhead. But this movie does it the best, Uh, obviously, because there's fucking asteroids flying by Mm -hmm. in the air. So I'm putting the Bay shot in there and I'm putting it, I think that this is the best example of the Bay shot as well. So... I, I think it's got to be in there. Asteroids flying overhead at New York City. The characters looking up concerned in the sky as the camera slowly kind of curves around them. Delicious. Absolutely delicious. Yeah, I don't know if he invented that shot, but he certainly perfected it. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah, because it's all of his films. Like, I can just, like, close my eyes and think of all the rotating cameras with something overhead. Either it's missiles or planes, and this one that's asteroids. Uh, yeah, he just does it so well. A lot of really, really like, and and I feel like people would again roll their eyes at this, but a lot of really artistic shots in this movie. So good on them. He's a visual director that knows what he's doing and then kind of just gets these, you know, some of these stories he does is really dumb. And, you know, he just fills, fills it with as much explosions and booms and bangs. I also <laughs> love the thing where Will Patton's character goes, what are you doing with the gun in space? <laughs> <laughs> That cracks me up every time. Throwaway line, uh, not referenced, like doesn't come back to it at all. <laughs> Just like says it one time to Fickner and he's like, why do you have a gun in space? Moves on. We're over it. <laughs> Which is funny because they have a mini gun on these armadillos. Yeah. That Steve Buscemi's fucking with. <laughs> yeah. So he has seen a gun in space already. 
I don't know. Maybe I guess because it was a handgun, that kind of thing. I don't know. I just that whole line is so funny to me. Almost put in the armadillos into the uh, museum, but I figured I'd put enough vehicles in after the alien franchise. I'm like, I'm, I'm just going to I'm going to let that one go. But I do love the armadillo. Yeah, they're awesome. And like that whole honestly, that whole rock set is fucking amazing. It's so cool looking. The ship's. The, the armadillo sitting in there and the fucking spikes of all the different <laughs> angles of the, the yeah. asteroid. It looks amazing. <laughs> oh, I love Owen Wilson's like, oh, all the worst parts of the Bibles. That, that's all you had to say. <laughs> it's the worst part of the Bible. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> uh, all right. That'll end it this week in our disaster summer. We're not doing the entire summer disaster movies, but. You know, we're definitely doing June. I don't know if we introduced this at the beginning, but we're doing disaster films, folks. Specifically, 90s disaster films. Uh, and our next one has to deal with flying. Yes. Um, it has a good fella in it. And I think that's all the clues I'm going to give you. I think it'll be a, a pretty good time. And, uh, you know, face your fears of flying with us. <laughs> do we have a fear flying <laughs> i don't know it, i think yeah. it's the tagline for the movie so that's why i was trying to <laughs> oh does it <laughs> i think something about fear of flying <laughs> i like it either way we'll just cut around it and make it sound like you're the you're the smartest guy in the room oh man that's a low bar <laughs> for that room <laughs> uh, okay so remember to be kind and rewind 